good evening whenever you're listening or watching to this. My name is Josh here at Cherry Drink. Another episode of Drinking Champagne. Bringing my co-host here, Mr. Andrew Champagne. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there, man. It's been a long, uh, long two weeks, actually. We skipped last week. Real life got in the way. If any of you out there uh, object to that, we will refund any and all dues that you paid in order to listen (laughs) to this podcast. But uh, no, uh, happy to be back here. I had a couple of really good days. My dad was in town over this past weekend, so we had a lot of fun. Went out to Golden Gate Fields on Sunday. Actually had a really good day playing horses on Monday. We both hit both pick fours, so that wound up being pretty good the late pick four was a little over 300 bucks so we wound up doing okay there but uh he was able to wing his way back east today so he's back in new york and i am dealing with an empty apartment here in the bay area but uh we were able to have a lot of fun so that was uh that was awesome that, that that's really cool i um yeah this past weekend i was actually playing in the hawthorne contest once again they had a uh, kind of a last chance how'd you uh, do nhc uh i zeroed out all my entries. It was it was a bloodbath. It was not good. Um, I uh, I hung out on Friday. I hung out most of the day with uh, Matthew Bicky. Shout out to Matthew. Get well soon, Matthew. Yeah, he uh, he he caught COVID. He thinks on the way back. I'm I literally spent the entire weekend with the guy, and I'm feeling a okay. So um, I, I seem to have dodged it. Uh, knock on wood. But. But uh, yeah, so you know, hopefully uh, Matthew gets better. Um, we went uh, so Friday. We we kind of sat at the same table, and, and you know, we had a good time. We actually had a re- we had a really nice dinner at a um, it's a chain restaurant out here called Wildfire. Um, it's uh, part of the Lettuce Entertain You uh, group of restaurants. So they own like Maggiano's. Um, oh, what's the French one? Monomica B. And a couple other ones uh, that I think have multiple locations. I know there's a couple locations in Vegas, so I don't know if it's just like there's a, a, there's a couple of Maggianos out in California. I've been yeah. to one in, in in West LA, so yeah, yeah. So, but it's like they're kind of their, I guess their steakhouse concept. Um, it, it was really good. We had we just had a really great meal. Um, they had a you know we had a nice little cocktail and and we had some good. Uh, had a nice scotch and yeah, we just had a good time. And, and really, you know, Matthew last time said that, you know, that's his favorite part of tournaments. And and I'll say, you know, I, I agree with him. Um, there's definitely something to be said about the, um, the camaraderie that, that comes with playing in these tournaments. Um, in the, in the November contest, uh, you know, our, our friend, my friend Sheldon flew in from Canada and, and played in the contest. And we, once again, we also went out and had a great meal. My fr- our friend, Brian Duransky, obviously qualified for NHC on that Sunday. Um, and honestly, um, you know, I, Andrew, I know you're fired up about something else. And so I don't want to get you too fired up. But, like, I mean, really, it's that, that camaraderie aspect is probably the only thing keeping something like NHC alive at this point. Um you know, uh, I, I have a couple of friends who are very sharp, very sharp players. Um, and right around this time of year, if they don't have a seat, they, they start trying to qualify. You know, like they play a lot of live money contests. So occasionally, like they'll just like they'll get fourth or fifth. Right. And everyone takes the BCBC seats first. It's the NHC seats end up kind of being the leftovers. But um, my friend, uh, my friend said, and I quote, uh, yeah, I want to go to NHC so I can just fire at the horses with the boys. So, um, yeah, a couple of us are going out that weekend uh, to you know cheer on Brian, playing the last chance, first chance, and 
hey, worst case, it's a weekend in Vegas. We eat some really good foods. We fire at the craps tables, and you know we have a good time. So, um, yeah, it was it was a good weekend. It was a fun weekend. Um, I, you know, I wish horse racing, went, horse playing went a little bit better, but um, yeah, it, it was kind of it was kind of unfortunate. Uh, it, it was an unfortunate weekend. Really, one kind of beat that probably might have made a difference in my weekend. I had a seventy to one horse I really liked. And I was on my last like twenty or forty dollars in my my bankroll that you started with a two hundred dollar bankroll, and so I just win bet the horse. I, I didn't do anything else. I think I put twenty bucks to win on the horse. And honestly, if that horse wins, I, it puts me right up there. Obviously, the horse runs second, uh, and the other horse I liked, who happened to be like the eight to five favorite, finished won the race. So if I would have, you know, used a little bit of like an exacta backup there, uh, it was paying like two hundred and twenty one dollars for two bucks, I believe. Wow. So, you know, if I would have just not played the win bet, but, you know, maybe backed it up with a ten dollar exacta box or something. I mean, I I, I would have been right there still. So kind of unfortunate. But uh, I, I the with that small of a bankroll that you have. And the number I thought you needed to get to, um, I, I thought you had to be aggressive. Um, you know, I the first the first day on Friday, I, I talked with uh, Tony Joe, um, and I both of us were just absolutely flabbergasted at the totals. And Tony was right there. Tony had like between twelve hundred and six hundred basically every race, and he ended up zeroing out. And what's funny is like he could have stood pat, and he probably would have gotten the seat. But he's just like he in no way did he think that everyone was gonna be so passive. He's like he's like in the last race the the leaderboard didn't move. Nobody even bet the last race. So it it was just a weird it was a weird tournament. Um I thought the totals are gonna be higher. Really, you only needed to get to about twelve hundred to fourteen hundred, I think, to win a seat this weekend. And normally it's about ten X. So it would have been about two thousand plus. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a weird weekend, but like I said, it was a ton of fun. I always love uh, love going out there. Shout out to Emily uh, Optics Emily if she watches this. Uh, Emily Gullickson. she's always a, she's always great to talk with, and uh, yeah, so we we chatted a ton. Um, and I, I know I I've been meaning to get her asked to see if she would come on live stream. I did see that that they're going to start doing a Friday live stream. It looks like with Hawthorne at noon. So uh, if you guys um, if you guys like. Uh, you know, watching live streams, I think noon on the Hawthorne channel, her and Hawthorne Jim are going to be doing a, a live stream. So check that out. Um, but, uh, Andrew, I feel like I, like I've, like I've changed, I've kept you chained up too long. Right. I know, I know you've won. And this is, a, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart as well. Right. Um, and you know, I, I, I know like, because NHC is kind of right around the corner, uh, you know, flow Cal is this weekend, um, and you know, a bunch of us are, are pretty regular tourney players. Um, so tournaments are on the mind and this is a, a track that has a really nice tournament that has also kind of been ruined a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, Sam Houston still, still not exporting their signal outside of Texas. One minute before we get started, for those of you out there who are listening in podcast form, I'm about to drink a foreign substance out of my red solo cup for encouragement. It's Dr. Pepper. 
All right. I'm going to preface this with a disclaimer. If people are going to be mad at me, I would like them to be mad at me for things I actually say. Josh, I don't know if you've seen this, but horse racing Twitter has this fun way of people trying to make you say something you didn't say. And I'm going to put this out here right now. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, there, during the Chad Brown situation, I was accused of taking sides and somebody tagged, uh, our friends, Bill and Nico, who run the Twitter spaces with the screenshot of me blocking them. Didn't much appreciate that. Uh, there were a couple of comments that were made with regard to my, uh, pointing out that Jeff Mullins Jr. is apparently the greatest trainer in the history of horse racing over at Santa Anita. Uh, there was a guy that said, oh, you wouldn't be saying that if it was at Saratoga. Look up everything I've written about Juan Vasquez. Look up everything I've written about Marcus Vitale getting stalls at Saratoga. Do your research if you're going to come after me and come after me with things I actually say. And it is with How about that your dad getting hit your dad getting hit in the crossfire of a really bad joke. It's just a champagne thing. Yeah, that's the family <laughs> curse. We can't stay invisible. Some people like us, some people hate us. No one is neutral. That's just what we do. I've come to terms with that. It's fine. Here's the thing. Our eyes turn to the Lone Star State and the situation with horse racing in Texas. Going to give you a brief preface as to what went down here. Of course, HISA went into effect in 2022. The Texas Racing Commission opposed HISA. There was a very long standoff in early 2022. Now, I should note, Texas was not alone in not liking HISA. The state of Louisiana hates HISA. There are other HBPA organizations that wish HISA did not exist. There was a letter that was circulated that was penned by Wesley Ward and Larry Ravelli. People don't like HISA, and that's okay. I don't have a problem with anyone making logical criticisms of this piece of legislation. Is it a perfect piece of legislation? No, it is not. Having said that, if the previous model of state commissions assembling everything piecemeal had worked, we wouldn't be in this situation. At least that's the way I see it. You can agree or disagree as you see fit. Whatever. The people that are challenging HISA and doing so in what I would term a constructive way. They're either working with HISA or chatting with lawyers or whatever, or waiting for things to work through the court systems. That's fine. Then you have Texas. On July 1st, the Texas Racing Commission stopped exporting signals from Texas racetracks to out-of-state simulcast providers. Essentially, the only way that you can wager on horse racing in Texas is if you go to a horse racing venue in Texas, or if you happen to be in another country. Canadians can wager on Sam Houston just fine. In other words, some of the data that I'm about to spew there, Sheldon, if you're listening, it's all your fault for not betting more. Now, this past summer and fall, we didn't notice it quite as much. There were a couple of days at Lone Star that were dramatically affected. Ed DeRosa had a write-up up on Horse Racing Nation about this. But after Lone Star comes Remington Park. Remington Park is in Oklahoma. They run for four and a half to five months. And as a result, it sort of went on the back burner. And I think a lot of people thought, oh, this is just a brief stalemate. 
it'll pass over and we'll wind up with something in place. It might not be permanent. It might not be good, but we'll have something in place by the time Sam Houston starts in January of 2023. Josh, hit the button. Which one? Okay, one. I was going for that bum 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 bum, but that's a good oh. one too. Um, in, in hindsight, Josh, either of those work. There's no solution, none. We haven't talked about Sam Houston much on this show since the meet started. If Carl Broberg's numbers that he passed along after opening day are to be believed, and I think they should be, I believe Carl has no reason to lie about something like this. Sam Houston's opening night card last year did $3.3 million in handle. That's a legitimate number, and that is a number that the people that work on the front side of Sam Houston busted their ass in order to achieve. They have spent the last five or six years molding Sam Houston from this forgotten D-level meet in Texas in the winter to a legitimate B option for a lot of handicappers and for a lot of horse people too. You're getting barns like Steve Asmussen, barns like Carl Broberg. Brad Cox had a couple of horses down at Sam Houston. Big names, names that you recognize. It became a fun track to follow and a really fun track, Josh, for players like us to play with the 12% multi-race exotic takeout. Mm -hmm. This year, on opening day at Sam Houston, the track grossed, I believe it was $133,000. For those of you doing the math out there, that is a 96% year-on-year drop in handle. It has not gotten better. I believe going into last week, that number was at 93 or 94%. First of all, before we go any further and we skewer the people that deserve to be skewered, my heart breaks for the people that work on the front side at Sam Houston. I'm talking about the racing office. I'm talking about the marketing people. I'm talking about everybody. And I mean everybody, including some people that aren't at Sam Houston anymore. The Chris Griffins, the Jessica Paquettes, a lot of people that were incredibly passionate about Sam Houston, about Texas racing, that were determined to build Sam Houston up into a legitimate option. They get to where they are a legitimate option and they get served what I can only call a shit sandwich of a situation and why. This is what I don't get. And this is something that I would very much appreciate if someone from the TRC happens to be watching this, find me and let's talk about this in a civil way. Why would you kill a successful business? I understand there's probably somebody there that doesn't see this as killing a business. I understand they're probably thinking, no, we're fighting the good fight against HISA. We'll wind up getting through all of this and we'll come out on the other side, steps ahead of a lot of other jurisdictions that are trying to do the same thing. How's that working out for you with a week and a half until the Houston Racing Festival? Josh, do you know how much they give out in purses during the Houston Racing Festival? Off the top of my head, I do not, but I know that there are a couple of very big races out there. Yes. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of eight or $900,000. That's a big number 
for a track that's not all that huge. It's a big day, though. You've got stakes races on tap, a couple of graded ones, too. Steve Asmussen is sending Pauline's Pearl there. She's probably going to go favored in the Houston Ladies Classic, a race that a couple of years ago was won by a little horse named Latruska, who wound up winning an Eclipse Award. Good horses show up there. Having said that, eight or $900,000 in purses. When is someone going to point out, hey, are we sure this is a good idea when we're not going to get 20% of that back in handle, even before takeout, even before breakage? And oh, by the way, we've still got three or four months of a meet after this. Texas Racing Commission, you have royally screwed this up. You have royally exposed yourself, not as a forward-thinking office, but as an office that is determined to serve your own agenda above the industry that you are supposed to be governing. You might have hoodwinked a couple of people, but I'm going to share an exchange that I had with a trainer a couple of days ago. Guy by the name of Bentley Combs, who has a very small string, saddled a couple of horses in New York actually last year. I believe actually won a race at Saratoga, so good on him for that. But there was, I believe it was Carl Broberg's tweet actually, that Bentley Combs responded to. And he said, and I'm quoting on this, not having interstate simulcasting is better than going along with HISA. I responded to this, and I was, I would say, reasonably respectful in the circumstances. I said, with all due respect, that's a horrible take. Say what you just said to the people on the front side at Sam Houston who might not have jobs after this meet is over. Now, he didn't respond to that. He did follow me on Twitter, and I respect that. I respect going the follow route and at the very least acknowledging someone who disagrees with you. I appreciate that. If that's the view that is held by a majority of horse people, forget surviving the meat. Josh, I don't see how they survive the next week and a half without significant pain. How can you give out eight or $900,000 in purses when every day you're handling a hundred to 150,000 for on track and it gets better? We started this with contest talk. I'm going to circle back to that. Josh, you were talking about flying into Sam Houston and playing that on-track contest, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, Caleb and myself were talking yep. about playing it. Say you look at the form, and you see a horse that's 5-1, to one, and it's a live money contest, and you love the horse. If you hammer that horse in a small pool, what are you going to do? That is exactly why we are not playing a contest. Caleb and, and I, I believe decided... that logic, Josh, is shared by a lot of smart people. Can you honestly tell me the TRC even considered that? I don't think they care. They um, don't. And I would very much like to know what's going on here because the only conclusion that any person of sound mind can draw with the way they are acting right now is they don't care if Sam Houston fails in the short term. And that's wrong. That is a disservice to a lot of really good people. Josh, I told you I was fired up. I believe it's justifiably so. This is wrong. People need to hold the TRC's feet to the fire on this. And the TRC, if they have any sense left, needs to stop what they're doing and go about this the way everyone else is 
because their current strategy isn't just not working. It's blowing up in their face. And very soon, the Texas Racing Commission may not have racing to govern. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. Um, and, you know, Andrew, I think sometimes, you know, I, I think the reason why I, I like having you on here and, and I like doing this podcast, you know, I, I come from this completely from a place of ignorance on the backside and the front side on all that, right? I come at it 100% from it from this as, as a, as a better, as a better and in being a better, a fan of the sport. Right. Um, and, and I think you come in with this, with, with a lot more background, right. You know, you have connections, you know, these people on the front side, on the back side, a little bit, right. Um, certainly but, on the front side, I know a lot yeah. of really good people on the back side. I know some really good people and I know some people that would very much prefer I do not exist. That's probably part of the reason I don't work in horse racing on a full-time basis anymore. Um, and I, I think you've brought up a lot of really good points. Um, and I, all I can share is, is my view from this as a better Sam Houston was probably, maybe my second or third highest handle track last year. I am one of the biggest fans of Sam Houston. Caleb, our, our co-host, is another huge, huge fan of Sam Houston. Um, I, I know a ton of betters that are huge fans of Sam Houston. All of this goodwill that they built up with this 12% takeout on these horizontal bets, which is the is the is the the bet of of, of the like that, that's the bet that people want to play right yeah whenever you 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 listen to our podcast you listen to other people talk horizontal sequences all the time right I and I've brought this up numerous times right that I think that we've we've kind of jumped the shark a little bit and you know it, it's gotten to the point where like like people also need to realize that single single race bets like exactas and tries there's still value in them right but. 12% takeout on pick pick threes, on doubles, pick fours. Like that's pick unheard threes of. threes and doubles are the big thing because I agree with you to an extent. I think if we're solely focusing on pick fours and pick fives, we're losing the forest and the trees a little bit. There's nothing wrong with playing doubles, especially if you're playing a pick four or a pick five ticket and you wind up single, single in some aspects. In that instance, if you don't play a double, you're a fool. And Sam Houston in the past couple of years has really catered to players like that. And you can find surprisingly high payouts between the low takeout and the big fields too, Josh, they get full fields down there. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? Uh, think about playing a, a pick five player, right? They, 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 they're playing the low takeout 15% pick five at your name, your favorite track. They lose the first leg. They feel like they have some pretty strong opinions in maybe the the third and fourth leg of of their their you know pick four what what their pick five which is now the second and third leg of their pick four. They run that pick four back. They've almost doubled the take that they have to pay into this in most tracks because at one track. At, at like I think at Naira specifically, the pick five is at I think a fifteen percent takeout, 
but the pick four is, I think, at 24% takeout. That sounds about right. Yeah, and there are some tracks where the early pick five is 15% and the late pick five is a significantly higher payout. Yeah, Santa Anita's like that. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, at Sam Houston, you can actually target the pick four and not feel like, no. hey, I'm doing something really stupid by playing the pick four because of how high the takeout is. I it mean, promotes smarter wagers, too, because if you're looking at this and you've got, say, a $40 bankroll, you can feel more inclined to press your stronger options without worrying about the track taking an absurd percentage of your money. It just promotes better wagering. It promotes more frequent wagering. Shocker, that works. Yeah, and you know, over the past couple of years, they they just had seen an exponential growth in their handle. And like I said, it's just a shame. I I love I love playing a track. I you know we would do live streams for it. We would do uh, previews for the big days. You know, I mean, Caleb and I literally would be we played this Thursday night, Friday night. Say, I mean, we played it all the time, and it's it's just a shame what happened. And on top of it, the contest during the the Houston Racing Festival is just completely ruined. I mean, I was talking with Caleb. Caleb and I were like, all right, they're going to figure this out. We're going to go. We're going to – Caleb was in town for work. I was going to fly in. We're going to play this contest, try and get an NHC seat or whatever. I think, I think it is. NHC seats is what they were giving. And we started thinking about it, and we saw the handle. And we're like, oh, well, if we have to bet – I think the, the rules are you have to bet your entire bankroll – in like the first five races of the day or something. So that's like basically like averaging out $200 a race, right? Well, if they're only handling, you know, 10, 10 to $15,000 a race. You're potentially altering the pools with every wager. And now think about how many people are going to play in that contest. I am basically putting my money into probably what would be the sharpest pool in the entire country at that time because think about it right you know saratoga the has very very sharp as it has a very sharp pool i believe but everybody around the country is playing into that you got people on track you got a lot of on track money right that's not necessarily always smart you 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 can offset some of that smart money when the pool is literally going to be 90 to 95 percent contest players I mean, it was just a no-brainer for us not to play in it because a, like you said, the pool the pool is small. So if I play a hundred dollar double, a fifty dollar double, fifty dollar exacta, I'm killing my own payout. I'm I'm basically cannibalizing my own payout. Secondly, all of the other people are going to be playing like that. It just it just makes no sense. And like I and I feel for it because you know I know. Um, I, th- I think his name is, I think it's Trey Styles is out there and he's promoting, you know, he's always constantly promoting. He's one of many really good handicappers and really good people. Also a shout out to Nick Tamaro, the track announcer mm-hmm. and morning line guy. There are a lot of really passionate people there. Um, everybody in the GM's office, everyone in the marketing office, these people give a damn and they're being cut off at the knees by this battle that's going on nine miles above their heads for ridiculous reasons, it pisses me off. And I try not to get overly worked up. I I really do try. It's one of those things that I think you learn is picking your battles and really taking stances where you're passionate. 
I'm passionate about this. This is bullshit. Yeah. I, you know, like I've mentioned numerous times, like it, it really is a shame because I, I played this track basically every single night. I could. Me too. And just for it to just kind of, you know, go this way, like it's just really unfortunate. Um, you know, they definitely, you know, there was talk. Everyone thought that they were going to figure this out by the time Sam Houston came And to around. be fair, we're recording this on Wednesday, January 18th. It is not inconceivable that they have something in place by the big day. Having said that, we thought that was going to happen by opening day. We thought that was going to happen maybe a week or two into the meet. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it's just a shame, but, you know, like – Hopefully they get it figured out. You know, maybe we get a couple of months of the meet uh, still. But yeah, it, it really for the their big day coming up here intended. And like for me at this point, it's too late for me to be like, yeah, I guess I'll fly down to Houston and, and, and play in this contest. Like I've made other plans. You know, I, 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 I spent more money at this Hawthorne contest, you know, mm -hmm. I and now I, I'm thinking I might just play the last chance, first chance at, at NHC. I might, yeah. I might just do two entries there. For because... sure. And here's the other thing too, Josh, we're talking about this and let's just say some miracle happens and the TRC and HISA wind up coming to an agreement. If the Houston racing festival draws massive handle, who do you think is going to be the first organization to take credit for it? Texas, the TRC. Why would I support that? in any way, shape, or form, when they've spent the last, let's see, this started in July, when they've spent the last upwards of six months sending a lot of good people up a creek because reasons. Why would I do that? Yeah. I mean, I, I still would, but that's just because I'm chasing low takeout. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm one of those, you know, horrible principled people who, you know, feels for a lot of the people that are really, really suffering right now. I hear you. And look, there's nothing more that I want than for Sam Houston to get back to the way it was the last five years or so. It was a fun track to handicap. It was a fun track to put tickets together for. It, it was a really, really cool thing. But horse racing has shown that if you have a really, really cool thing, it's going to wind up doing a lot of things to make it less cool as time goes along. We wonder why horse racing's not catching on. It's stuff like this. Hmm. Yeah, which uh, you know, talking about stuff not catching on, uh, we do have we have Derby points up for Derby points weekend, finally. Um, Le Bon Tom's Relay at the fairgrounds. Yeah, yes, I'm my actually, name is I'm Champagne, and I just butchered the French language. I'm sorry. I'm I'm curious. Um, when when you were working, you know, I, I mean, you still obviously are are in the media, but you know, you you focus. I think your your focus is much more broad now, right? It's not just horse racing; it's, it's yeah. gambling, it's other yeah. stuff, uh, online gaming, all that stuff. Um, but when you were 100% focused on horse racing, um, when when is the time that the switch really flipped for you? Was it was it LeCompte? Was it was it this first this first weekend of uh, of fairgrounds, or were you more like because like a lot of people I know, right? They're just kind of they're waiting for that second one, right? Um, what is it? The risen is it the risen star? That's the right? risen star at fairgrounds. I can tell you personally, for me, Derby preps have really started with the Holy Bull. 
which is either the last weekend in January or the first weekend in February. That's usually when I start really, really paying close attention. Now, going back to last year's LeCompte, we actually saw the unveiling of a very, very, very nice horse, even if he didn't win. Epicenter did all the dirty work up front in last year's LeCompte and got nailed right on the wire by Call Me Midnight. Of course, Epicenter would go on to win the Risen Star, the Louisiana Derby, second in the Kentucky Derby, second in the Preakness, won the Jim Dandy, won the Travers. Yeah, the, the LeCompte produced a really nice racehorse there. Now, bold prediction here, Josh, I got to tell you, I don't think there is an Epicenter type in this field of eight. It is not a bad group, but you really don't see any potential layover types, any potential monsters in this field. Brad Cox has a couple of horses, and one of them is probably going to go off favored. We've got a horse that in his debut looked like the latest, fastest horse in the world for Steve Asmussen. I was there for Echo Again's debut. Horse looked like a million bucks. Hasn't done a whole heck of a lot since. We've got a couple horses from the Palo Lobo Barn that have fetched a combined total of $1.85 million at auction, one of which is... Uh, related to Rachel Alexandra. It's a fun field. We don't have morning line odds as of yet, so take that for whatever it's worth. Personally, I think the morning line favorite and the post-time favorite is probably going to be instant coffee, right, from the Brad Cox barn, horse number seven in the program? Um, yeah. I hope I'm wrong because I really like that horse. I. Uh... I think so. I, I think it's gonna. I think it's either instant coffee or it's gonna be Echo again. Um, I mean, I I'm not really instant coffee. I'm 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 a little bit interested in, but I kind of have your um, your feeling that I think the horse is gonna be very short. So um, it, it really just it, it's really kind of be price dependent, and and we're gonna talk more about uh, this race and and some of the the later races uh, in this card next uh, tomorrow or tonight, depending when you're listening to on Thursday night on our, our live stream. Um, but um, yeah, like first pass here. Um, I, I mean, I definitely wasn't interested in Echo again. I think I think the Springboard Mile kind of um, kind of showed us that. I don't know. This this is just kind of an also ran. I think at this point, maybe maybe might do something sprinting, you know, cutting back. Um, I, I I kind of was surprised to see Echo again entered here. I, I thought we would see the horse cut back and maybe you know, maybe like I said, turn into a sprinter. But um, yeah, instant coffee does you know was kind of where my eyes went to right away. Um, the other, the really, the other horse I was a little interested in was the eight, two fills here for uh, Larry Rivelli, Jareth Loveberry here. It's a Patricia's Hope uh, owned horse, uh, which is uh, Larry Rivelli's kind of main patron. And um, you know, this horse ran a really, really impressive race at the on the streets at Street Sense. Now, the one one word of caution I would have for that is this horse, you know, has a really nice number there. It was also in the slop and hard spun tends to like having horses run in the slop. So um, it, it could have just been one of those things where the horse freaked on the off going, um, you know, and, and the horse kind of had uh, an, an easy time of it. There, there weren't really fast fractions there. You know, they went 23 and four, 48 and one. Um, and the horse kind of just sat just off the leader and just passed and opened up. So, 
I, I don't know if that's you know strictly just hey th- this is a, a mud horse only. I, I don't know what the weather's looking like for this weekend, but hey, maybe if there is some rain, this is this is a horse that you kind of look at that, that has done it over the off going. Um, but uh, I I think that on the fairgrounds track you do want to be forwardly placed. You you don't want to be coming from you know five six seven lengths off off the pace here. And this is the horse that's going to be close to the front end. And um, you know I think I think it might be might be dangerous. Might be an underneath play. Um, you know and, and is definitely kind of got that versatile run style where it doesn't necessarily need the lead and and is not going to get the lead. I don't think in this spot with Echo again sitting there on the rail. So I did just take a look at the weather forecast for Saturday. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday night. So take this for whatever it's worth. They're saying 50% chance of showers. So certainly something to watch. You mentioned hard spun. The name I'm more drawn to is the damn sire, a horse named General Quarters. Very good mud influence that you don't see a whole heck of a lot of in 2023 pedigrees. I think the street sense was a freak effort. I think he bounces back to his regular form. And I don't know if that regular form is good enough. Look at the race two back. That's the breeder's futurity. And he ran seventh in that race. Instant coffee ran fourth with not a great trip on that particular occasion. And instant coffee, by the way, rated in 10th out of 14 horses that day. Keeneland's mile in a 16th configuration includes a very, very short stretch. That is not kind to closers. I thought Instant Coffee ran well to be fourth that day, came right back with a strong performance in the Grade 2 Kentucky Jockey Club at Churchill Downs. Didn't have a lot of pace to rate behind that day, a 50 half mile, but managed to win in the kind of professional fashion you want to see out of a two-year-old horse late in the season going into his three-year-old year. The pedigree is distance top and bottom by Bolt Dioro out of an Uncle Mo mare. We know two turns is not going to be a problem. Luis Saez sees fit to ride. He probably had several options. There's a lot to like there, and I also like how he's going to sit with the likely race shape. If we go through these horses here one by one, Echo again has to go from the rail. I don't think there's a scenario where Echo again takes back from that inside draw. He's going to go. Uh, Dennington, not a lot of speed there. Does add blinkers, so might be a little bit closer. Bromley is an interesting case. This is one of two Paolo Lobo trainees, two for two at sprint distances with a pedigree that doesn't overwhelm you with distance. This is a horse that has shown some speed going six and six and a half furlongs. I can't imagine he's going to be too far off of it. Number four confidence game. I'm not crazy about this horse. Did rub an absolutely perfect trip last time out and capitalized on that going wire to wire. I can't see that one taking back after the win he had last time out. His best game is going to be up front. We get to Tappet's Conquest, the other Brad Cox trainee in here. It's worth noting that Tappet's Conquest is cross-entered in another race earlier on in the fairgrounds card. So this one might not run. If he doesn't run, I think that is a ringing endorsement for Instant Coffee because I think that means Brad Cox knows he's sitting on a loaded gun with that one. Tappet's Conquest, a nice horse, though. Second beat and a half length on debut at Saratoga. Stretched out to a mile and a 16th impressively at Churchill. Hasn't run since October, but a consistent work tab at Fairgrounds. Not without a shot. We get to Itzos. This is a horse that I think is going to take some sentimental money. Look at the dam. A lot of Kim. Josh, you're a fairly new racing fan. Does that name ring a bell? Nope. 
Dam of Rachel Alexandra. That horse is going to take a lot, and I mean a lot, of sentimental money. And it's not like this horse can't run at all. This is a horse that faltered badly in the debut at Churchill, but was going pretty fast early on and might have needed the race. Comes back at Turfway over the synthetic and is professional. I don't want to say overwhelming, but 72 buyer speed figure, wins by a length and a half second timeout. It's the improvement you want to see but this is a horse that should probably be 15 to 1. That's probably going to be 5 to 1 and could well act as a takeout reducer for the rest of the field. We get to instant coffee. We get to Mr. Phil. That's the field, of, or two fills, excuse me. That's the field of eight for the Lecompte. Derby points on the line. A race that produced a pretty nice horse last year. I think instant coffee has the potential to be a horse you want to watch. Do I think instant coffee is a horse that's going to be really high up on the Derby uh, contenders lists that everyone's going to start writing, possibly self-included? That's called foreshadowing kids. I don't think he's a top 10 type horse, but is this a horse that may well find himself in the starting gate on the first Saturday in May? Sure. Yeah. I Like I said, I, I really like instant coffee uh, as well. I, I'm with you there. Um, Knocked me out of a pick four in his debut. He did. I remember <laughs> because I was on stream with you guys. That's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm definitely interested a little bit in this eight here. Um, I, I looked at the four uh, confidence game. I know you kind of brought him up. Uh, last out had a really nice figure, um, you know, is coming off a bit of a layoff here. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think, I think with the early run style um, might be a little bit compromised with uh, depending on what echo again does, as well as the other uh, sprint, the sprinter that's stretching out uh, Bromley. Um, yeah. I thought that there um, might be so a little Josh, bit speed there. Real quick. We, we mentioned that the lot of Kim pedigree dam of confidence game is a horse named Eb Louis Sant. That name ring a bell at all. Nope. Half sister to Zenyatta. Hmm. I remember there being a lot of fanfare when she debuted at Santa Anita back when I worked for HRTV. Um, the, the relatives of, of Zenyatta running or doing anything for a long time was social media gold. It was, uh, and, and I got to tell you, when Zenyatta's foals started running, I still remember being in the TVG studios when Cosmic One debuted at Santa Anita. And when Joaquin Jaime on the screen, looked at the odds board and said, Cosmic One is one to nine. Josh, do you have a Chariots from Heaven sound on your soundboard there? I have no idea what Chariots well, from Heaven you're gonna is. Well, then but... you're going to have to bear with me on this because it sounded like Chariots from Heaven because any money that was bet on that horse was dead money. And anytime anybody said otherwise on social media, they got skewered. But guess what? We were all right. <laughs> and that sound you're hearing is the Zenyatta mob that's a couple uh, levels down that have blowtorches and uh, a whole bunch of really ugly things and they're chanting things. And sorry, yeah, I had blame in the Breeders' Cup Classic and Zenyatta was never going by even if they went around again. Watch the gallop out, people. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pissing off a lot of people tonight, and I don't really care. Um, funny enough, our friend uh, Caitlin Free 
also does not 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 a big fan of actually he's just not a fan of Zenyatta. See, I have no problem with <laughs> Zenyatta. I think Zenyatta is absolutely wonderful. I think a number of people that are fans of Zenyatta and are incredibly vocal and who put a whole bunch of money on or offspring at the windows for sentimental reasons don't necessarily have the game's best handicapping interests at heart. But I'm grateful right, to them for that because that means more money for me. So do you think that the uh, Zenyatta mob is worse than the uh, the Chromies? I'm going to preface this <laughs> because the answer is I don't know, but I will say this. The preliminary possible nominees for the Horse Racing Hall of Fame this year came out and were sent to voters a couple of weeks ago. Shout out to Brian Bouillet, the communications guy for the Hall of Fame, does a tremendous job keeping voters informed with everything they need. Uh, we were able to submit potential hold on, candidates. Wait, wait, hold on. But are you a voter? Yes, I am. How have you not? I where was where was the the kind of the the Andrew Champagne there? Like you know, sent out the email to all you know all voters of which I am one, you know, and you puff your chest and everything. We, we no, missed that. No, I have no, no interest in doing that. It's because there's a bigger point here. <laughs> California Chrome is going to be on the ballot this year. And he's a cinch, uh, two time horse of the year, won two triple crown races, won a Dubai world cup, won the Pacific classic over this little horse named beholder. I don't know if we've heard of her, but she went into the hall of fame on the first ballot last year. She was quite good, Josh, quite good. There are always going to be a couple of people, and I don't know where this got started. I don't know how this has gone unchecked, but people who seem to think that California Chrome was wildly overrated, and I don't know how a two-time horse of the year and an earner of $15 million who ran second behind Arrogate in one Breeders' Cup Classic and third behind Bayern in the Bayern mug shared belief at the start Breeders' Cup. I don't know how a horse like that can be overrated in any sense of the term. People, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. If you feel otherwise... Look at the standards for Hall of Fame induction and tell me which one he doesn't meet. So as far well, as comparing the Chromies to Zenyatta people, I don't know. Um, all I know is whenever any of Zenyatta's offspring ran, I made a lot of money betting the other way. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a California Chrome race before. What? Oh, no, I have. Sorry. I have. I saw the Byron race, so yeah. I've seen, but mostly for the start, because someone yeah. had brought up uh, brought up how he just like completely mugged some other horse and yeah, uh, Byron like, mugged yeah. shared belief to the point where I, I've probably mentioned it on this show before. I know I've mentioned it on a whole bunch of occasions, but uh, a reporter asked Joe Talamo, who was riding Moreno for Eric Gio in that race, Joe, what'd you see at the start? Talamo looks at the reporter. I think it might have been Scott Hazelton, but he looks at the reporter, sort of rolls his eyes and says, shared belief sideways. One of the great quotes that I have ever heard from any jockey in my time covering horse racing. And of course, you know, no change. And we can all, by the way, agree. Let's see. That was 2014 that Breeders' Cup Classic was. So it's going to be nine years in November. Horse racing people, we can all come together and admit that was just a batshit terrible call. 
I'll take your word for it. Go watch it again. Watch it again, and you will see sanctioned mugging. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I've seen it a couple times. I, I think uh, it might have been probably I probably the, the first time I saw that race was when I was wallowing in sorrow after the maximum security DQ, and someone's like, "Oh, they, if they didn't DQ Bayern, they should have they shouldn't have DQ'd maximum security." And so I had to see how bad it was. It was pretty it was bad. bad. That's pretty bad. Yeah, I, um, I the maximum security DQ, by the way, I had no feelings for or against it. I was just seeing a whole bunch of people suffer for 20 minutes, and I knew that one group of people was really going to get screwed. I bet improbable and tacitus in that race. So if you want to boo my handicapping, feel free. That was not my finest derby. Dude, just that, like, the, the killer for me about that race wasn't just the maximum security DQ, but I was live to four horses in that race. Yeah. And I was live to maximum security, improbable, game winner, and roadster. I had the Bafferts plus maximum security. And to to whiff with all four of those was was pretty uh yeah. Was pretty bad. I actually honestly maximum security was probably my second or third choice in that or I think I think I probably it was my third choice in that race. I hang on, hang on, hang on. So, so maximum security was a defensive B. I actually, Thank actually, at, to be to be fair, at that point, I think I was actually a being. So I think I was uh, I was live to all my horses in that race. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I thought game winner. I was like, oh, like th- yeah, he's just gonna, he's going to win this race. And and I, and I th- had I thought improbable was the other um, the other Baffert that you wanted. And then I thought maximum security and roadster, roadster was the well. B- Baffert trains this one, and I don't want to get beat by the other other Baffert. But you know, yeah, live and learn. Indeed, that's for sure. I'm, sh- I'm sure people learn. are tired of people are tired of hearing me talk about the the that derby DQ. So, uh, but uh, but on that note, uh, Andrew, what what do you got going on this weekend? Anything anything uh, fun and interesting coming out? Lunar New Year. My fiance's family are doing a whole bunch of stuff, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, as far as anything else goes, uh, starting to prep for Hawaii, actually. I'll be there Ooh. in, yeah, it's January 18th when we're recording this, so exactly a month. Uh, pretty stoked about that. I have Honolulu's forecast in my phone, and I look at that every couple of days when I want to get really, really excited. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Very much looking forward to that. Also officially booked the March Madness. Vegas trip. Dad and I are going. We always do Where that. Are um, so you're going to need to get the boo button ready for this one. Um, to people that run the Las Vegas resorts, whether that's Caesars, MGM, any of the other Titans, um, if there's a recession, they don't know it. The prices for hotels for March Madness are absolutely outrageous. You're looking at $2,500 before even taxes or resort fees. It's insane. So as a result, my father and I are staying at the fabulous Palace Station uh, Resort. Okay. You know. And Josh, you know what the Palace Station is most well known for in the past maybe 10, 15 years? Oyster Bar? Uh, that's one of them. I have heard many <laughs> good things about the Oyster Bar, but that's where OJ Simpson got arrested for armed robbery when he was trying to steal his memorabilia back. And that was the charge that stuck. Oh, that's funny. 
yeah. So we'll be able to see that. Uh, there is an In-N-Out burger about a quarter mile away from the hotel that I imagine I'll be eating at at least once. So not a total loss there, but on a serious. Are you note, guys gonna Are you guys gonna stay off strip, or are you guys gonna gonna try? Well, and we go... both got a whole bunch of tickets that we need to cash at a uh, Caesar's property, so that's gonna actually you know be one of the first things we do. Uh, as far as where we're watching games, I don't know. If anyone has any ins, I'm an easy guy to find and uh, will be incredibly grateful for that. But on a serious note, March Madness in Vegas is just plain fun. If you haven't done it at least once, you should. The problem is Vegas is getting just a little too pricey. And if you really want to have your eyes bug out, go look at what they're charging for hotel rooms when F1 comes to town in November. Uh, I I actually they sent me a comp room for that that time, but really I had to buy a t- I had to buy a ticket. And, and a ticket how much itself, are the tickets? Uh, like four grand. That do it. Was, yeah. Buy four grand and we'll put you in a cardboard box two blocks from the course. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. Andrew, I'm I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a deal with you. Okay. Oh, okay. Hit me. All right. If I win NHC. I'm, we're gonna. I'm gonna come back to Vegas that next week with you, and I will get us set up somewhere. All right. So Shake you have a chance. That. You have a chance. You have a chance to root. For, you have something to root for me. Okay. Well, so, I'll tell you this. I'll root for you if you're not in it. I'll root for Brian Duransky. If Brian Duransky gets blown out, I'll just root for chaos in general. There we go. But uh, yeah, uh, you know. So you guys can catch us at at wrong underscore lead on Twitter. Obviously, I'm at Cherry Drank. Uh, Andrew is at Andrew Champagne. Uh, we'll be back next week with another uh, another fun episode. And uh, yeah, if you're listening to this Thursday morning, we will be live Thursday night, 7.30 Central, 8.30 Eastern, our usual time. And uh, we're going to be looking ahead at the rest of the fairgrounds card. I think we're probably just going to look at the late pick four, the all stakes pick four. There's a whole and, bunch um, of races. You're going to have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. And then uh, we're going to hopefully I can get the last hundred dollars needed. <laughs> to get uh to thousand you're close building in bourbon and just just end this thing because man betting delta and turfway has been just it's been rough Here, but, here's uh, the question for you are you desperate enough to end it that you could potentially play a pick four and go all 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 guarantee a cash no and hope we're doing we're doing win play show uh exact uh double, trifecta and double only so Okay, but let me rephrase that then. A double, all, all. No, I, I, I mean, you would have to. So, funny story. The, the way that Mark won this contest the first time was he had a structured. It was either a structured. I think it was a structured double, and it was like a two hundred dollar structure to get like three to one on or something in order for him to win. It, it was disgusting, but uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. I think Mark is down to like 50. I think either Mark's got to rebuy or he's under a hundred. So really, I think I'm the only one with a shot to win this weekend or this week. So hopefully I end it. I only need 110 bucks and then Caleb will be happy. Put him out of his misery. But, uh, <laughs> go right. get him, Josh, go get him. See ya.